I appreciate everybody kind of sitting like our youth group does. You've got a few rambunctious middle schoolers up front and then all the cool kids in the back and stuff. Um, but this is great. It makes me feel like it's a Wednesday night. I am really glad that I get to share with you today, and I'm really glad that you chose to worship with us this morning. I'm not to that yet. It's in my notes. I actually put it down so I wouldn't forget. Yeah. No hecklers. Uh, so we are in week three of a one-week series called This Is My Story. <laughs> uh, Adam kicked off a couple weeks ago, and, and uh, afterwards we all came to the conclusion that it would be a great opportunity for Mike and I to share our stories as well. So here we are in week three of a one-week series. But before we get into it, it is time for Kids Church, all right? So if you're somewhere between birth and fifth grade, go ahead. Uh, Miss Chelsea's team has something awesome planned for you guys this morning, so go ahead and head out for that. I will say, Adam, it is a little disheartening when you see a lot of people running away from your sermon. That's not sure how that's going to go. Now, if you're still here and still awake, let's start by talking about why we felt it was important to extend this series out. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions, and if, this, if you fall into one of these categories, just go ahead and raise your hand and leave your hand up. Have you ever struggled to share your faith with someone? Have you ever had a hard time explaining God to someone? Have you ever refused to invite someone to church? And what I mean by that is like you just, the fear of rejection or avoid confrontation. You're like, it's not going to do any good anyway. Have you ever avoided uh, inviting someone to church for one of those reasons? Have you ever felt inadequate or unimportant? Chances are one of all of us fall into one of those categories, if not all those categories. Matter of fact, I, I check all the boxes. Statistics show that nearly all Christians fall into at least one of these categories. And if you don't know how to share your faith or talk about God, if you avoid church conversations with some people because you don't know how to answer their questions, and if you sometimes feel like there's nothing special about you or that you don't measure up to those around you, then 1 Peter 3.15 might be one of the scariest verses in Scripture for you. Because in this verse, Peter tells all Christ followers, that we should always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, whoever wanted to ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give an answer for our hope, why we believe, and how is that possible if we have no idea what to say? Here's what I tell my students. You don't have to be a Bible scholar, and you don't have to be able to answer every question to share your faith. Just tell your story. One thing I know without a doubt about each and every one of you is that you exist. I know, you didn't know I was a scientist, but I am. I know that for a fact. And if you exist, then there's a story to be told. For all Christians, our stories can be broke down into three parts. The first part is my life before I knew Jesus. Even if you grew up in the church, there is a time before you truly, intimately knew Jesus and had a relationship with Jesus. So the first part of your story is your life before that. Second part of your story is what I refer to as the turning points. For most of us, that's the point where we make that decision to give our lives to Christ and to, to be baptized. 
Now, for some, it, it could be sometime before baptism or even later on in life. But there's a turning point where you said it's time to get serious about this. And then the third part of your story is, is pretty simple, and that's how has Jesus changed or impacted my life since the turning point? What changes can you attribute to the Holy Spirit's work in your life? So that, that's your story in a nutshell, those three parts. And if you want to get really good about telling your story and being ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, I encourage you to write it down. Every Christ follower should take some time to sit down and write out their story because your story is the most incredible and irrefutable evangelism tool that exists. My Bible college degree will never be as effective at leading people to love and follow Jesus as your story. Because no matter how well I can explain or defend the scriptures, our stories are true and undeniable. Nobody can argue your story. It happened. And nobody else knows your story as well as you do. So that kind of makes you an expert. Now, over the last two weeks, you've heard Adam and Mike's story. So now, this is my story. The brief version. While I didn't grow up in a church, there, was, there is a strong religious background on both sides of my family. My dad was one of eight kids in a very devout Catholic family. My mom was one of five in, in a Southern Baptist family. And I have memories very early on as a child going to church with my family at the small Baptist church on our street in Mount Washington. And I remember seeing my mom lead choir. But when my parents divorced around the age of six, that stopped for the most part. Sometime after that, I remember my cousin, one of my cousins on the Catholic side, had his first communion ceremony. And there was this giant party after that, and he got lots of cool gifts and tons of money, and I thought, I need to do that. <laughs> so I did. But for the most part, other than the occasional midnight mass with my mom on Christmas Eve or a special celebratory service with, at my grandparents' church, that was pretty much the extent of our time in church after the divorce. My childhood after the divorce was filled with conflict and instability. My mom struggled with alcoholism, bad relationships, and her first bout with cancer. My dad had his own issues with bad relationships and job stability. We would spend the next few years constantly moving. I split my time up uh, between living with mom and living with dad during the school year. So uh, throughout elementary school, I went to six different elementary schools, all in the Louisville area, but all over Louisville from end to end. Mom's first real relationship after dad was with an alcoholic who had a teenage son that I looked up to like a big brother. I thought he was the coolest guy in the world. He was a high schooler, had his license, hung out with other cool high school guys, and I got to hang out with him too. But he would take advantage of my trust and admiration, and he groomed me for a couple years of steady abuse that nobody else knew about. And through the grooming, he introduced me to some pretty destructive habits, things that included pornography. After mom left that relationship, I transitioned to what I call the angry years. Now, my kids would say, when did that stop? <laughs> but I call these the angry years, and I spent most of third through fifth grade getting in fights. Nearly every day. Sometimes in school, sometimes after school, but I fought a lot. 
That's all I wanted to do. And that's all I did for the most part up until sixth grade when I started playing football. Now, I've told people before, I feel like football might have saved my life. Because what football did was it gave me an outlet, right? Football gave me an outlet for all the anger and all the rage. And I was able to go on the field and be as mean as I wanted to be. And I was pretty mean. Uh, <coughs> the first bone I ever broke was my own teammate's leg in practice. And that was in the sixth grade. And there was plenty that followed after that. Not mine, other people's. But, but I was a mean football player. But for the first time that I can remember since my parents divorced, I started to have what felt like a normal life. I had meaningful relationships, some that I still have today. My grades started to improve. I wasn't fighting. I actually started making decisions to try to better my life, even though things were still pretty chaotic at home. Around the same time, Dad met Cheryl. Cheryl was a great woman. Cheryl brought exactly what our family needed. She was educated. She was driven. She brought order and stability into all of our lives, and we needed that. My seventh grade year, I started really evaluating where my life was and where I wanted to be. And at the end of the first semester, I told my mom I wanted to move in with dad for good. I recognized that I needed stability. I needed more, probably more than anything, discipline. If I wanted to get where I wanted to be, if I wanted to reach my goals. And I felt that if I stayed there, that's exactly where I was going to end up. So I asked dad and Cheryl if I could move in with them, and they agreed. Now, fast forward a few years to my senior year of high school. Football season comes to an end, and I decided to try wrestling. I was still thinking about maybe trying to play college ball, wanting to stay in shape, so I started wrestling. <coughs> and a few months in, I had a small injury to my ribs that caused me to sit out for a while. And at about the same time, there were some setbacks in my personal life that really hit hard. And I remember sitting in my room one night in the dark, and I just started crying, just uncontrollably crying. And all of a sudden, all the bad things that had ever happened in my life started flashing in my head, just reliving everything, every bad moment. Life started feeling like it wasn't worth living anymore. And that night, I tried to end it. And in that moment of my failed attempt, there was a clear and audible voice that said, Bobby, you're not alone. And I don't know why, but I immediately recognized that voice was God. And the gravity of what had just happened, and probably more specifically what had just not happened, shook me to my core. And I stood up and I told God that I would never let myself get to that point again. I was going to be the most positive person this world had ever seen. My eyes were open to how bad things had gotten, and apparently I'd been depressed or dealing with depression for a while. I hadn't even realized that my grades had been on a steady decline since football stopped. As a matter of fact, I was failing most of my senior classes and was in danger of not graduating. But through the help of some good friends and my teachers, I was able to get back on track and graduate on time. I ended up following my best friend to EKU, where we both joined a, a fraternity that his big brother was in. Now, I don't know what stereotypes you guys have heard about college fraternities, but I can assure you, as far as my experience is concerned, they're pretty much all true. 
Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good that came out of that. We did a lot of good stuff. My love for, for community service and volunteering came from being a part of that fraternity. That's where I was introduced to those things. We had amazing memories, great friends. But in addition to all the positive stuff, there was a lot of parties. A lot of parties. Um, so that's a part of it. But in the middle of that, I met a fraternity brother named Joey. Now, Joey was actually an alumni who was back on campus working on his master's. And Joey stopped me one day. I was on my way out to class one morning. He stopped me. He said, hey, there's something I'd love to be able to share with you. Would that be okay? And I said, well, i got to go to class, but tonight, let's get together. And so that evening, I stopped by Joey's dorm, and he told me his story. Joey was from the eastern Kentucky town of Pikeville. If you're, if you're from eastern Kentucky, you know that's how you say it, Pikeville. And when he came to EKU, he got caught up in the wild college fraternity life. But one night after some pretty crazy partying, he had an encounter with Jesus that completely changed his life. And Joey gave his life to Christ. And while Joey was sharing this with me, he also showed me what's called the bridge illustration. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this or not, uh, the bridge illustration. It's a pretty, pretty cool evangelism tool to use. And if you want to talk about that, I can talk to you about that after church. But uh, he shared that with me as he was telling me his story because that had been shared with him. And I would love to tell you that right in that moment, I asked Jesus into my life. And that night, we went out and found the nearest creek, and I was baptized, and that, everything was awesome, but that's not what happened. Instead, while Joey was talking, I was thinking that I'd already had my saving moment back in high school. And everything was good, because I was already a believer. The truth is, I did believe in God. But I had no idea what it meant to be a Jesus follower, to have a relationship with him. And maybe I didn't give my life to Christ that night. But the seed was planted. Joey finished up his master's that semester and moved away. And over the next two years, I would get a, a co-op job that turned into a full-time job, all while I was trying to finish up college. And I moved off campus, and life just got busy. And I started seeing less and less of my friends, my fraternity brothers, I remember sitting in my apartment one night, starting to feel alone. And I recognized I was starting to kind of feel like I did back after football ended. So I said, something's got to change. And then I remembered our, our, my conversation with Joey. And the first thought that came to mind was, I need to go find me a church to start going to. Now, at some point in my life, in that time frame, I had convinced myself that if I was ever going to go to a church, it was going to be a Christian church. Because I was like, well, we're all supposed to be Christian. Why would we call ourselves by all these other names? It didn't make sense to me. I said, if we're going to be a Christian, I'm going to go to a Christian church. That's just how my mind works. So I made up my mind. Now, Richmond has plenty of church options, if you've ever been to Richmond. And so I got up that Sunday morning, I went to one of the Christian church options there and I remember as I left that church service, sitting in my car, and I thought, nope, that wasn't it. I thought, well, maybe it just wasn't the right fit. There's other options, right? And so I did it the next week. I said, I'm going to go to church. So I got up, went to a different church, and I remember sitting in service. and came out, and I sat in my car, and I said, nope, that wasn't it. I did that four weeks in a row. Finally, after the fourth Sunday of saying, nope, that wasn't it, I decided the church must not have been what I needed after all, so I gave up on that idea. 
But I was still convinced that God was trying to get my attention. And I asked him, I said, show me what it is I'm supposed to do. Where, what are you trying to tell me? What, why, do you are trying, why are you trying to get my attention so bad? Over the next few weeks, things kind of went back to the way they were before. I pretty much had forgotten about the whole finding a church thing. And then one day, about a month later, I came home from what felt like the longest day at work ever. Everybody's had one of those days, right? You have those, it's just, this is the worst. I come home, and I noticed behind my apartment was a bunch of heavy equipment. Now, my, behind my apartment was this big, giant hayfield, right? And, but I noticed that all this heavy equipment sitting there, and there was a spot right behind my apartment that had been cleared off and leveled off. Well, that's weird, right in the middle of this hayfield. So I walked through my apartment to my bedroom, which had a window in the back, and I look out, and right outside my bedroom window was this giant sign, and it said, future home of Richmond Community Christian Church. That was my reaction. I remember very clearly, I looked up in the air, and I said, really, God? I stopped going to you, so you're like, oh, well, I'll just come to you. And he built this church right outside my apartment. Over the next few months, I watched as this small patch of hayfield by transitioned into a church building. And I remember coming home one night after a long day, another long day, and there was cars in the parking lot, the lights were on, and there happened to be a car that I didn't recognize in my parking spot. Now, if you've lived in apartments, you know a lot of times they give you a designated spot. This is your spot. And there was somebody in my spot, and I was tired, and I wanted to go to bed early that night. And I thought, it's probably one of those people from the church. They, didn't, they just parked here and walked over. So I went over and I knocked on the door. I thought, I'll just let them know, hey, if you can go ahead and move that, because I'm going to bed early or whatever. But it, ended up, it wasn't one of their cars. But I met this nice man, and he started telling me about the church. And he invited me. He said, hey, we're going to have our first service in the new building this Sunday. You should come. Now, that weekend was my birthday weekend. My birthday was on Saturday, and I very politely told him. I said, I appreciate that. I said, my birthday's Saturday. I've got plans to go out with my buddies. Probably not going to feel like coming to church Sunday morning. But thanks for the invite. And that's exactly what happened. Saturday night I went out with my buddies and I did not get up and go to church that Sunday morning. But I did the next week. And when I did, I walked into a building filled with people I'd never met. Yet it felt like I was walking into a family reunion. The church was warm. It was inviting, friendly. They, they welcomed me in and they showed me love. I wanted to be there every single Sunday. And I was. And after a while, I wanted to be there every single Sunday morning and Sunday nights. And then eventually Wednesday nights, too. It got to the point if the doors were open, I wanted to be there. I didn't want to be anywhere else. But after a few months, Sunday mornings started to feel a little awkward. And they felt awkward because it seemed like every sermon was about me. You guys have felt that before? Everyone. It was like there was a spotlight on me. Pastor Craig's whole sermon was about me, my struggles, my sins, and he was just talking to me about them in front of everybody. Now, of course, he wasn't, but that's certainly how it felt. And obviously, God was trying to get my attention. I started meeting with Craig during the week on a regular basis and just, after, just asking questions, a ton of questions. And, and some of those focused on baptism. And I told him, I said, well, I'd been sprinkled as a baby in the Catholic Church, and did I need to get rebaptized? What does that mean? What does that even look like? Is that something that we do? And he talked to me th about uh, 
immersion, and we talked to me about the age of accountability, and then things about making a personal decision to follow Christ, and things like that. And after several weeks of just fighting God over this, I finally gave in, and, and they did the, the invitation at the end of one week, and I just walked forward. And it was easily, easily the single most important decision I've ever made in my life. Angela, you're number two. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to stop here, but this definitely isn't the end of my story. As a matter of fact, it's really only the first two parts, right? But there's a lot of details I skipped over. If you want the full story, hey, invite me out to lunch sometime. We can talk about it. But here's what I want you to understand. This is what I want you to get out of this today. My story, more than anything else, is not about me. Adam's story is not about Adam. Mike's story is not about Mike. And your unique, one-of-a-kind, undeniable story is not about you. My story and your story is about our amazing creator. It's about how great he is and all that he's capable of, all that he's done, all that he continues to do, and all that he will do in and through you and me. You see, you know much more about God than you give yourself credit for. Because you are a living, breathing testament to God's greatness. To you, your story might seem boring or mundane or uneventful. But to God, your story is this epic account of his unconditional love for you and your response to that love. And your story is completely unique to you. Everyone in this room and everyone watching online has their own story. Here we all are together, serving and worshiping the same God. Yet each of us got here on a different path. We have different backgrounds, family experiences, traumas, scars, yet here we are. As you've heard over the last couple of weeks, Adam's story and Mike's story and my story are all very different. But here we are. Our stories are important, and that's why God so emphatically tells us to go tell our stories. Psalm 66, 16, come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. Psalm 105, verses 1 and 2, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. Isaiah 43, 10, you are my witnesses, declare the Lord. Daniel 4.2, I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. Mark 5.19, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Luke 8.39, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. And that's what God calls us to do, and that's exactly what it means to be God's witnesses. You and I have seen his work. We know what he's done. We are witnesses. And when we tell others what we've witnessed, we are giving testimony to God. Sometimes I struggle with the church definition of faith. We often say that faith is believing in what we do not see because that's how we read Hebrews 11.1. 1. But our faith is not blind. While I might not be able to see physically, 
how God is working in my life right now or what he's planned for me, I can absolutely see the work that he's done. I am a witness to the work that he's completed. I trust and have faith in what God is going to do because of my firsthand experience of what he's done. And you have seen that too. You are his witnesses. When someone asks me why I believe in God, I can answer them. Because when I pulled the trigger, it went click instead of boom. Because when I was alone in the dark, his voice was loud and clear. Because the moment I was baptized, he wiped clean some of the destructive thoughts and desires that were in my life. Because when I was struggling to understand what was going on with my mom during her second bout of cancer, a group of people I just met surrounded me and protected me as one of their own. Because when I sat on the mountaintop and asked God for 30 minutes of campfire time, he stopped the storm for exactly 30 minutes. That's a good story, too. Because I am not the person that I wanted to be or was on track to be before I met him. Because after 25 years of disappointment, heartbreak, and selfishness, in a moment my heart was filled with joy, contentment, and happiness. Because from the moment that I made the decision to give my life to Christ, and really before that, there was, has been a supernatural force at work changing me from the inside out. My desires for me transition to his desires for me. That's why I believe in God. I've told my students before that when we become Christians, God sends his spirit to come live inside of us. That's scriptural, right? That's, that's an actual thing. And, and, and this is kind of like when we move into a new house. Most of us have moved at some point in our life. You move into a new house, and what do we do? When we move, we begin to the process of turning our new house into our new home, right? Does that make sense? We move our furniture in, we hang personal pictures up, we might paint some walls, we redecorate and make changes until the new house starts to reflect who we are, our personality. And that's what God does when you invite him to move in. He starts removing the things that don't reflect him. He starts redecorating. He begins the process of turning this house into his home. You and I start to reflect who he is, his personality. When we read through the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, we see a list of qualities that describe God's perfection. He is the perfect embodiment of all these things. And when we let God move in and redecorate, we start to reflect those qualities too. And if you've been a Christian for very long and haven't seen changes taking place, then you need to ask yourself if you've truly given him control. It's kind of like when we move in, or we ask him to move in, but we don't give him the keys to the house. It's kind of hard for him to redecorate, isn't it? We all have a story. And your story is your story. It doesn't have to sound like my story or Mike's story or Adam's story. And it shouldn't. Because it's yours. It's about the work that God has done in and through your life. And God commands us to be his witnesses, to go tell our stories. He says to start where you are, your home, your family, your close circle, then spread out to the next level. That next level of influence, like your friends, your work, your school, your team, whatever that is. And then we move out. Every chance you get, you should be excited to be God's witnesses because you're sharing your eyewitness testimony of what God has done in your life, your story. And in my opinion... The most beautiful part of our story 
is that it's still a work in progress. See, if you're still on this side of heaven's door, then your story is still being written. And that's okay. But that doesn't mean that you can't or shouldn't share it. Because if we all waited till our story was done, it would never get shared. I want to challenge each of you as we as we close this morning. I want to challenge each of you with some homework. To spend some time this week, pencil and paper, writing out your story. What it, up till today, whatever that whatever that looks like for you. What what your life was like before you had a personal relationship with Jesus. For some of you, you grew up in church. That that section might be small. For some of you, it might be big. But what was your life before you had a personal relationship with Jesus? Not just when you learned who Jesus was, but you, knew, you got to know him. Second part, that turning point that led you to giving the keys to the house to God. And then the third part, what changes or impacts have been made in your life since that turning point? See, there's no better way to feel comfortable telling people about God than to share your story. And you're never more prepared to share your story than if you just write it out and you've got it. You know what, you know what to say. But here's what I want to tell you. If your story doesn't yet include those last two, there's no better time to give God the keys than right now. Start that part now. Don't put it off. Let him move in. Let him redecorate. Let the changes start. And then what an awesome addition you have to that story. Let me pray for us.